0: Welcome to the Band of Brothers podcast. Our current series is entitled The Roles of a Man. We are led by Don Mutton, the singles minister at Houston's First Baptist Church, and Eric Reed, the minister to men and married young adults at Houston's First Baptist Church. We're glad that you're joining us, and we hope that you have a blessed day. A couple
1: of things we'll do um, as we go through this, there'll be uh, the first two weeks are a little bit more content-oriented. The last three weeks we'll have more time for some questions and answers, but... I'd rather not just run off informational uh, stuff. So if you have any questions, you'd rather stop go a little slower than just to get the stuff out. But again, the first week will be the most, uh, this week will be the most informational heavy side of it. Next week we're going to have quite a bit. And then the last three weeks will be a fairly nice pace, pretty easy. So you'll think we talk really fast right now, but we'll, be, we'll slow it down after this week. So Eric and I have known each other for... Uh, almost 15 years. Uh, 15? Almost. Wow.
0: And, uh, no, it is 15. Yeah, like it's yeah. our
1: anniversary. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> I forgot that. And so uh, That's awkward. we uh, we were working the same ministry together, and uh, as we did that, we uh, started meeting together. I don't know if any of you have ever uh, sat down with someone and started meeting with them on a regular basis, uh, with the idea of sharpening each other spiritually. But um, Proverbs says, it's iron sharpens so iron, so one man sharpens another." And so we sat down together, uh, visiting through uh, just life experiences. and Time Eric was working with a troubled teens home, working with the, the training. I the wasn't counselors. a troubled teen, by he the way. He was working with training the counselors, and he was uh, at the same time uh, um, working with those kids and those families. And so these kids were kind of like the identifiable patient. Usually, there was some kind of a situation in a home that was pretty rough, and so they were there as kind of a last hope for some of them. And so, as he worked with those kids and worked with the counselors, he'd have this opportunity to cycle and train. But at the same time, I was working. In ministry, we would do discipleship ministry, and as we disciple folks, one of the greatest people to disciple is a person in the midst of the fire, and so Eric and I got to visit through that, talk through life, deal with some pretty unbelievable stories and situations. Mm-hmm. And so our, as we go through this material, uh, we, we go through it uh, completely have an understanding that there that we can never be we all that we, we wish we were, and uh, but that God, with his great power and love for us, has given us everything that we need we really are uh, able to handle being a man and really are able with his strength and his power to carry out what he wants us to do in our life. And so uh, we both have been in things, situations way over our head, and I was, I was also a trouble team counselor too at the same, before Eric was, and so we've been things over our heads, there's been situations that have occurred in life. We'll tell some of the stories that this kind of unfolds and uh, let you hear kind of our, our backgrounds and our stories. But at the same time, we want to make sure that we get to a biblical understanding hear God's perspective on those things also. Anybody been in roles of man before? Great, great. Uh, we do this within Summit Ministries, and we do it. Uh, it's the one material I've ever done in my life, Eric, which people actually come back a second time. I, I'm just I'm surprised by that. It's
0: like crack for Jesus. Basically. Yes, a little bit like That's that. Right. Yeah, and so, uh, but it is, uh,
1: something about this resonates, I think, with Shouldn't all of us that. men, okay. that God really does love us and really does want us to carry out a role and carry out well, let's pray and we'll get rolling. You pray ready?
0: We have, but oh, we'll, we'll do it again. again. Okay, it's not redundant. Okay, no, no. It's all good. Okay, let's go. We'll you go. Just a you go. I'm not going to stop Cause you cause on me, our anniversary. Me, yes. yeah. Thank
1: you, thank you for our anniversary. Father, no, uh, <laughs> thanks so much for your great love for us. Thanks for the opportunity to share. Father, I thank you that you and your great love for us have made us as men. Has created us that way. That have you seen that as valuable, Father? That as uh, we uh, understand that, we understand that there has been. Situations in our lives, there have been circumstances that have occurred, there's been our own sin and our own desires that pulled Mm -hmm. us away from your biblical best. And so as we walk through this, Father, may be understood and received with the grace that you give all of us. May at the same time, may you give us the power that only the Holy Spirit can empower us with. And may you help us carry out these things that you desire for us and for your best to happen in our lives. Father, if you be so gracious as that happens in our life, would you allow that to expand to those around us, to our wives, to our friends, to our workplace, and to our church? And may you uh, use us in a way that we could never imagine. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. 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 On the first page there, you got a little bit of uh, uh, thoughts there. Why are, why are we here? And I. Uh, couple ideas here. A role of man is, a, is based on the revealed truth. To make sure that was understood is not a truth. The revealed truth of God's uh, special design for men. And so our desire is that we would address these desires that God has for us. And so we're looking at what his desire for us is. There's going to be an, an idea that marriage is a critical a component of this. It is a important part because it is, in a sense, the ideal in, in, in many ways. But at the same time, this is not uh, extracted, in a sense, until I'm married, this, this takes place. It is the roles of a man, and so as men, whether married, whether uh, divorced, whether uh, single, whether uh, young, whether old, it has a, a role that you can play and you can be a part of. It. There's uh, several aspects in which we look at, and we'll talk about that a little further, in terms of there's going to be two analogies that takes place. One is going to be the marriage analogy. The other is going to be the marriage of Christ and church, that we can put this to practice even if we're not married. We can put this to practice within his church. We can put this to practice in life presently. We don't have to wait until a day coming up, and then at that point, okay, I got married, put a ring on. Now i got to have it all figured out. i got to start practicing it. And we can start that even wherever you are in your, in your circumstance of life. I have a question. How many of you um, are in a home? And how many is here total? Uh, how many of you have been in a uh, uh, mom and dad situation? You grew up in a mom and dad situation that was together all of your years at home all your years at home so they may have gotten divorced after everybody just raise your hand if you were in a home that stayed together wow extremely unusual um, only three that didn't um, here's the next question um uh, yeah, that's way way unusual and so um uh, the next question is how many of you were uh, raised in a christian home when i say a christian home that may mean a couple things. Uh, one is not a religious home necessarily. Okay? You may say, no, it wasn't Christian. It was religious, but it was not Christian. You okay? can say, no, that's not a Christian home. It may mean that your dad was a believer, but your mom was not, but you were raised with Christian principles. Your mom's influence and that may not have been your home was still, in a sense, Christian principles. So you could be in a split home and yet still be raised by Christian principles. And so with those two kind of definitions, who would say they were raised in a Christian home? necessarily always functional, but a Christian role.
0: Man. Okay. Wow. That's yeah, Both of those are that's incredibly good. unusual. That's,
1: that's, that's wonderful.
0: Right, we asked that question <laughs> <done>. because <laughs> something. What's because... Well, we're done. We asked this question
1: because a lot of times that we go into this, there's a great course called A Quest for Authentic Manhood in which we deal with a lot of the dysfunctions that can take place. Okay, And so the first portion of that study really deals with it, and goes through the unpacking portion of that. We will not hit as much on that, but there may be aspects in which you sense as we walk through this first week that if you go, there's still some things that you probably need to un- unpack and there's some things that you still need to deal with to get to the point in which I need to be, okay? Uh, answer this question down at the bottom. Why have you come to roles of a man? And then you have a second question, what do you expect to learn? And a third question, which I think is the most important question, Why, what, who do you desire to become? Who do you desire to become? So part of that's cognitive, part of that is it is then transformational. So it takes just a couple minutes and write down a couple little notes. If you don't, if you don't want to write it, so no one can see it, write it in kind of, some kind of calligraphy next to you.
0: in right. calligraphy. Kind of, you know, so this that, means yeah.
1: okay. So there may be some things that some some pretty powerful things you're looking for. Some of may be informational, some may be behavioral, some may be uh, just very much transformational. So either level they're on, uh, we want you to kind of deal with that. Write down some thoughts. Another way to ask the first question is: Why have I come to Romania? Maybe, maybe where have I been? Maybe maybe a, a way to ask that same question. you hope you become let me give a, a couple of background and continue just writing those notes down There's, this this not it's not in your notes this next portion but um, usually what we do with this is this is a, this is the second time we've done this kind of open this up church wide It's the, uh, we've done it only one time, which we've opened up to Summit as a whole, but um, usually we do this by invitation. The reason we do it by invitation is because the material that you're about to go through is incredibly powerful material. In fact, it's not powerful because you're in it, it's not powerful because I'm saying it, it's not powerful because it's, it's powerful because it's God's truth. Philippians chapter 1 says that even if we have wrong motives, if God's truth goes out, at that point, even though this truth goes out with the person who's teaching the wrong motives, it still is the power of God that goes out. Okay? And so the same thing's true with this. The material that you have in the hands of a mature person does mature things. The material that you have, the truth God reveals in the hands of immaturity, can be used in an immature way. It can be used in a way as with hypocrisy. I can use these truths and say I'm one thing, which is truthful, what God wants, but then live something different than that. It can also mean that I can use this in a sense that I call it the greatest chick magnet in the world. And so for single adult world, as you do these things, what will happen is godly women will be attracted to that automatically. And the reason for that is they see what God's doing in your life. They then are drawn to that because they are, they are by God's nature, uh, in a sense, drawn to that. As a godly lady, it connects. And we'll show that connection a bit. How a godly lady and a godly man are brought together. If you're married, then the same thing true. As You start applying these without telling your wife about these things. You apply these things in there. At that point, she's going to say, wow, that's pretty cool. Where do we got this stuff at? When I first heard this material, the first time, a guy named Dave McLaughlin wrote the material. And as he wrote the material, um, I, I listened to it. I had the tape on, put it in, the guy gave it to me, and Denise was with me. And as I started listening to it, she was going, oh, that's good. And I was going, that's good. And pretty soon I thought started, I started thinking, wait a 2nd she's going to start having really high expectations here. In the <laughs> Uh-oh, I don't know if I can live with those things. And so I said, honey, can I turn this off for a second? And she uh, sure, I would have liking it. I, I said, well, could, could I listen to this tape? And then have a year to put it to practice before you listen to it. After a year, if I have a year's head start, if I can listen to it, have that year. And in a year, you can listen to it and see how I'm doing, okay? But give me a year's head start to kind of put this. Because I'm afraid it's going to lift up your expectation. And so, uh, and it, so during that next year, I started listening the principles, started putting those to practice in different ways in my life. And as I did that, I said, hey, honey, it's been a year. You should listen to the tape if you'd like to. And so at that point, the, the idea, though, is it's going to raise up an awareness in your heart and mind of what it means to be a godly man with your with your spouse, with your with your daughters, with your with your uh, sons, with your family. It's going to raise up the bar in your church family. It's going to raise those bars up. So the hands of immature hand, uh, maturity, is going to be used in a mature way, and the hands of immaturity is going to be used in an immature way. Also, men make a difference. I say this up front because I think many times what happens in our in our Eric as eloquently talks about this, but in the uh, emasculation of, of men, the feminism, the raising up of feminism. The, the other results has been the emasculation of men It's happened at the same time. Instead of it being, let's lift up women and make sure that there's a value placed there, what has happened is we've had a lower, it seems like, the, the role of a man. We do not think this is in any way a lowering down of a biblical view of women. We think it lifts it up. In fact, as we do this, I think it lifts up that role in a tremendous way. And then we both do a God's best. And so the atmosphere, though, is men make a difference in atmosphere. Tremendously. I think this will come true as we look through the materials. are you walking into the room make a difference. When dad my mom would chase me around the house all day long with the fly of water, telling me how bad <laughs> what I should do, what was going to happen when dad got home. When dad would walk home, I would stop my running and I would immediately understand my lickings are coming. Okay? It was something innate that when dad walked into the room, atmosphere changed. It just did. I didn't have to think about that, it just did. When mom was in the house, without dad, the atmosphere was different when dad walked in. And so there was a a difference it makes. I think men make a difference not only in atmosphere, but they make a difference in vision. I think my men, but your vision, when God gives you something and he gives that, I think it makes a difference in your vision. I think it also makes, you make a difference in an attitude, whether it's positive or whether it's negative. I think your attitude, if it's filled with sarcasm, if it's filled with cynicism, I think it makes a difference within a church, within a workplace, within an environment. If it is full of grace, it is full of a positive, It's full of hopefulness, and I think it makes a difference. And I think there's nothing, I think by you walking in the room itself, even if you say nothing, I believe you, as, as men of God, make a difference. I even believe that a guy walks in and not a godly man, he makes a difference. Okay? So I think men make a difference. Number four is, I think that uh, our purpose here is not just to be good men. Okay? our purpose is to advance the kingdom to come. And so our purpose in this material is not so shallow as to think, I want to, I want to have a group of good men walk out of this room. I desire and my purpose for teaching this is that we would have transformational men, men that are, I think I, Eric and I both kind of see ourselves as, I wonder why I'm here. I really do. I think my greatest gift is I have no great gifts and that God uses me anyway. I think people, it's pretty quick that people say, ah, he's a nice guy, but he's not that extraordinary. But God, who is extraordinary, uses a simple vessel and then uses it for his glory. And I think my greatest gift, maybe like so you would say, maybe your greatest gift, is I don't have any great gifts, but put in the hands of a great God can be used in great ways. And so I, my hope is not to have good men walk out of this room. My hope is that we'd have transformed men that would walk out of this room. And so I desire for those things. And so, uh, as you walk into this material, I hope with those kind of prerequisites, uh, you'll be um, ready to go. You want to do the? You want to do either one of those two? Next, you want you have any more additional?
0: No.
1: You want to do the, the two stories? We haven't talked about which one parts. want me read the uh, Diary of
0: the Madhouse. No. Yeah. Okay. Want to? Do y'all have Do y'all have the letters in there or not in your notes? I don't think you do. you want to? We're gonna read two different perspectives of men from two different ladies and these are actual letters that were written Uh, you'll know some of the names and some of the letters as we read them but the first one is a is a sort of a more of a negative here it says my husband is a full-time youth minister he is extremely dedicated and spends between 50 to 70 hours a week with young people I think the reason he, he is so successful with kids is that he is always available to them always ready to help when they need him That may be why the attendance has more than doubled in the past year. He really knows how to talk their language. This past year, he would be out two or three nights a week talking with kids until midnight. He's always talking to them at camps and ski trips and overnight campouts. If he he isn't with kids, he's thinking about them and preparing for his next encounter with them. And if he has any time left after that, he is speaking or attending a conference where he can share with others what God is doing through him. When it comes to youth work, my husband has always been 100%. I guess that's why I left him. There isn't much after 100%. Frankly, I just couldn't compete with God, and that's in quotes. I say that because my husband always had a way of reminding me that this was God's work, and he must minister where and when God called him. Young people today desperately needed help, and God had called him to help them. When a young person needed him, he had to respond or he would be letting God and the young person down. When I did ask my husband to spend some time with the kids or with me, it was always tentative. And if I became pushy about it, it was, quote, nagging, trying to get him out of God's work, behaving selfishly, or I was revealing a spiritual problem. Honestly, I've never wanted anything but God's will for my husband. But I never could get him to consider that maybe his family was part of that will. It didn't matter how many discussions we had about his schedule he would always end with, "Okay, I'll get out of the ministry if that's what you want." Of course I didn't want that, so we would continue as always until another discussion. You can only ask for so long. There's a limit to how long you can be ignored and put off. You threaten to leave without meaning you you threaten to leave without meaning it until you keep the threat. You consider all the unpleasant consequences until they don't seem unpleasant anymore. You decide that nothing could be more unpleasant than being alone, feeling worthless. You finally make up your mind that you are a, a person with real worth as an individual. You assert your ego and join womanhood again. That's what I did. I wanted to be more than a housekeeper, a diaper changer, a sex partner. I wanted to be free from the deep bitterness and guilt that slowly aided my spiritual and psychological sanity. Deep inside... There was something making me not only dislike my husband, but everything he did or touched. His I love you became meaningless to me because he didn't act like it. His gifts were evidence to me of his guilt because he didn't spend more time with me. His sexual advances were met with frigidity that frustrated both of us and deepened the gap between us. All I wanted was to feel as though he really wanted to be with me. I want you all to hear that. And this is a, this is a, a wife, a godly husband, Doing a good moral man, right? A good man. All I wanted was to feel as though he really wanted to be with me. But no matter how hard he tried, I always felt like I was keeping him from something. He had a way of making me feel guilty because I had forced him to spend his valuable time with the kids and myself. Just once I wish he could have canceled something for us instead of canceling us. You don't have to believe this, but I really loved him and his ministry once. I never wanted him to work an 8-to-5 job, nor did I expect him to be home every night. I tried to believe every promise he made me, honestly hoping things would change, but they never did. All of a sudden, I woke up one day and realized that I had become a terribly bitter person. I not only resented my husband and his work, but I was beginning to despise myself. In desperation to save myself, our children, and I guess even my husband and his ministry, I left him. I don't think he really believed I'd leave him. I guess I never really believed I'd leave him either, but I did well, that's you know here I am in ministry but but I've sat across the table from an accountant who's trying to make a partner at his accounting practice, and he's working seventy eighty ninety hours, and I'd also visited with his wife, and she had felt this, and they have three kids, and I had felt this from her, this vibe this I'm hurt, I'm angry, and all of that. And I sat down with him, and he quoted the parable of the talents to me. He said, I don't want to bury my accounting talents, my business talents, my management talents, because God will take them away. And I I challenged him to say, what if you're burying the greater talent of being a godly husband and a godly father in the dirt and the soil called vocation, the job? And what if God's going to take that away from you? And whether you're married or not, I hope you all hear the the echo coming from a lady that really merely wants to be loved and led well. That's all she wanted. And here was a religiously good man missing that mark. He wasn't living out the roles that we're going to talk about over the next four weeks. Now we have a a better letter, a great letter. Don's going to share that. I
1: know this family. When uh, Mark first told me about this. Leadership group and its purpose, my heart rejoiced. Don did not ask me to write this, nor did Mark. In fact, Mark had no idea I'm doing this. But this week I felt a pressing on my heart to sit down and express to you the need that we women have for you to be our spiritual leaders. Earlier this year, in conversation with Beth Moore, we talked about the reality of spiritual warfare. She said that Satan is going to get worse as the days grow darker, as if he hadn't been destructive enough. This year I have faced attacks from the enemy like never before. His efforts to discourage me have been relentless. I've had to get more radical in my prayer life and my walk with God. I, have, I believe that it's time for us as the body of Christ to get more serious than ever before about a roles in the body of Christ. We women need you men to be warriors. who will defend the faith and provide for the spiritual needs of our family and the church. God has blessed me with a strong and mighty man of God for a husband. Mark and I have known from the beginning the relationship that Satan wanted nothing more than to tear apart godly homes. We have seen him destroy families we thought were invincible. We have seen enough of Satan's cruelty to know what his schemes are not to be taken lightly. I have a godly spiritual leader for my husband. It's a blessing to see my husband seek the Lord every morning. I love the way Mark loves God. I love it when he leads me by the hand, down on our knees for times of prayer. I love it when I am discouraged by lies from Satan. Mark will gently show me the truth. He looks for ways to meet my needs, and he, uh, uh, and he serves me just as Christ served the church. And outside of him, when I've seen him be a faithful friend and a witness to other men, he truly invests in other people's lives like no one I've ever seen. The longer i have married, the more I find to love from, about Mark and respect him. He is consistent and firm like a rock, and his gentleness and love makes me want to submit to his leadership. I don't say all this to put Mark on a pedestal because he will tell you that he's like everyone else. And perfect but what I find pretty perfect about him is his desire and effort to lead our home and me in the ways of God. I've been so blessed to know and watch and several of you, and you take on leadership roles in the church. We women will be praying for you as you continue to stand firm for the Lord, because we know that your calling is not an easy one. We know that just as Christ is the head of the body, He has called you all to be the heads of our homes. We need you, and we support your effort, your pursuit. Of godly leadership. Fun to hear a good letter like that, isn't it? And I pray and desire that that would be that we'd walk out going, "Wow, God, you can do that in me, me as as a as a man of God. I can walk out like that." God has revealed His plans. If you turn to page, I think five, maybe on your on your page there, page four, page four. Sorry about that. There's gonna be some blanks there. Some of you will need to make sure you fill those blanks in and cannot miss those blanks. So if we go a little fast and miss that, just raise your hands and excuse me, tell me what the blank is. Be glad. Some of you can care less about the blanks, and so you don't have to raise your hand if you care less, okay? So Willis, world most along here. Uh, God's desire for man is first revealed in scripture through the creation of the covenant marriage. It's an interesting name. It was God's idea, wasn't it? From the very beginning. Components of the first marriage include a commitment, a physical relationship, and the father bringing the bride to the son. Now, let, let me let me back away from this just a bit. I'm a single adult minister. My name is Don, and I'm a single adult minister of First Baptist. And so, as I walk through this with single adult men, is mainly who I teach this to. I, many of them would like to be married. Okay, so we have a, a forward-looking situation. But many of them don't know when that day is coming. Many of them are not engaged yet, are not married, don't know when that day is coming, and go, "Hey, I just wait." So I want to equate two things here. This creation of man is the crowning in a sense, uh, part of the creation. It doesn't mean the rest of creation is, is less than. The crowning uh, glory that God gives to creation is this creation of man. Okay, In and, and the idea of uh, the home and humanity, women are lifted up in a sense. They're kind of like the, uh, God's mighty glory being seen in this beautiful creation called a woman. Okay? And so it's kind of this, we're just made out of dirt, guys. Sorry about that. We're just kind of plain and simple. But gals have this finely tuned, uh, but we can get by with a, a torus so they're kind of like the, the fiat kind of deal. Just, there's just something different about them, right? And so they're a crowning tool. Marriage is also, in a sense, relationally God's crowning glory, okay? It is, in a sense, a picture of the most intimate of relationships, but it's not, relationships are not limited to marriage only, right? We'd say, oh, I got all kinds of relationships outside of marriage, no, he's simply in a place, the place of the highest uh, intimacy. It is a place of crowning glory. It's a place that God reveals himself. Uh, who did you quote the, earlier today?
0: Yeah, Martin, Martin Luther, yeah. after, you know, he was in monastery for a long time. And, and I believe the quote is something like that. He said, I experienced more sanctification in a year of marriage than in 30 years in the monastery. Hmm. And now we're
1: not getting together. Uh, yeah, nothing against monks at that point, right?
0: No, He's That's not right. Nothing is monks. Yeah, but yeah. for him, it's like, it is, marriage is, the, in a very real sense, one of the ultimate relationships of pressing us and revealing both selfishness and, and you know, a lack of forgiveness in a heart. I mean, it, just, it reveals, because of the pressure that it can bring, it reveals a lot about us. That doesn't mean that we can't have a, a Jonathan and David, out of Scripture, a Jonathan and David friendship that also brings that, but... But God crowned all relationships with the marital relationship. And Paul and
1: Timothy's Paul and, Sias, Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, all kinds of Jesus and the twelve disciples. So you have great relationships, men relationships that are all throughout scripture. But,
0: but I think for Don and I, we, we ask where do those relationships begin? And and I'll just tell you, and you you know it if you're married, is there's not a switch you flip the day of your wedding. There's not a switch you flip. It says, oh, I'm going to be a sacrificial servant leader in my home now. And I I flip that switch. Reality is it's really easy for us in our country to become real selfish. We go through college or grad school or med school, and we get out, and we're finally, I'm free, and I I begin to have an income. I remember when I got out of college, and I had my first job, and I was like, oh, my gosh. I've got money coming in, and I was like, "Why, why do I want to spend it on? You know, there's no thought at all about Who could I give it to? What ministry could I serve with it? It was purely myself. And I'm just saying that's how I was wired up. And it took me a long time to begin to realize. It took me marriage to realize that, wow, you know, I needed to be practicing these roles and these principles from the very first day that I hear about them. I need to begin to practice them. And whether or not God ever brought a lady into my life. So when I went to work in the boys' home, I volunteered for a year. And when I went on staff, I made $12,000 for the year. Now, my dad had a huge problem with that, a big argument over that because I was being financially irresponsible. But for me, I knew in my heart there was character issues that needed to be hammered out. And there was an obedience issue in my heart toward God. And he had led me into a ministry area that, that didn't pay a lot at that time. But I went there because I knew, hey, if I ever want to be the man God wants me to be. I don't wait for marriage. Marriage won't make me that man, but it will reveal the man that I am. I need to ask God to make me that man today, you know, at age 23 or 24. Make me make me your man now, and then whatever you bring in, whether it's a, a marriage or no marriage, I will find contentment because I will have found my rest in Christ, in Christ alone. All the rest of it gets added in there. But my roles didn't change, and we'll talk about it. Talk Does someone that? have
1: uh, the scripture with them? I'll turn to John chapter thirteen, verse thirty-four and thirty-four. Thirty-four and thirty-five.
0: Uh,
1: yeah, John 13, 34 to thirty-five. And the the idea behind this is the marriage unity has. A, there's a comparison that can be made with the body of Christ unity. And so there's two covenants given in scripture. One one covenant is the covenant of marriage. Another covenant is the covenant with the church, with with with, with the salvation. Is where it starts with joining the body of Christ. So it's with salvation entering into the body of Christ, the church. and So those are the only two places the covenants uh, are seen in the New Testament. Okay, The fulfillment of covenants have happened in the Old Testament, but within the New Testament those are two covenants that continue. And so John 13, 34, 35. Somebody read that please. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples. Yeah. So this, is, so the the idea of the intimate relationship, the idea of this this deep bond of relationship, it happens before marriage. Okay, it happens even in a sense alongside of marriage within the body of Christ. So the marriage is a covenant relationship. There, there, if you look at a blanket, the marriage is a covenant relationship, not a contractual working one. It is a covenant relationship. A covenant is always done in front of witnesses. It is not done silently, it is not done in secret, it is done in front of witnesses. That's why our marriage ceremony is done in front of witnesses. We often commit baptism, the, the outward expression of a covenant that we started, is done publicly. We often commit to something by swearing upon something greater than ourselves. In Genesis chapter 15, it talks about this covenant. The first time you see that, we actually see it slightly hinted about in chapter uh, 3 of Genesis, in which uh, God sacrificed the animals. Uh, that had done nothing for the sin that we had committed. But in chapter 15 of Genesis, we see it again. And it's uh, powerful because what it does is it says if we, God God is saying, I'm going to make a covenant with you, Abraham, and if we break this, then I'm going to divide animals and divide these animals and walk the path. But God did not have Abraham walk that path. God walked the path alone. Great, unbelievable picture. And he said if, if this covenant is broken, then what has happened to these animals should happen to us. But there was no us involved in it with Abraham. It was simply God walking between the animals. Ultimately, with the foreshadowing of Jesus fulfilling the broken covenant that has been done by us. Okay, That he would die for our sins. And so this great covenant. So a covenant is based upon trust of two parties. It's built on trust. It is positive. It's not negative. A con- contrast is based on distrust. A covenant is based on unlimited responsibility. Number one, a covenant is based on Trust between two parties. A contract is based upon distrust. Number two, a covenant is based upon unlimited responsibilities. A contract involves limited liabilities. It's a business agreement. Okay? In case you do me wrong, I got, I got an agreement with you that I can get back. I can deal with this. But a covenant is based completely different. A covenant cannot be broken if new circumstances occur. A contract can be voided by mutual consent. So well, this idea, this covenant relationship we have in marriage, but let's take a step back, this, this relationship we have as believers with Christ, this covenant relationship we have, the same thing to be true. And so as we kind of unfold this, there's going to be parts of this, we say, boy, that can be played out anywhere with any man, any time. And so, it, it, as we just read in John chapter 13. If you look on page uh, 5, piles of scripture. As you walk through this, you uh, Eric has a desire. Do you want to share with
0: me kind of your desire? The connection point. I, just, I, I just think it would be a good. There's no way tonight we could sit down and read through all of this text, and then discuss all of this text. But it would be a really good thing. Is over the next five weeks. Is if you came with a friend, that that maybe hey, this is y'all take take these this week, read them, and actually share with each other what have you seen about about a husband? What have you seen here about a woman's role? What have you seen in here about marriage? Just from God's Word, what He says. If you're like me, you've received thousands of messages about masculinity, femininity, and marriage from pop culture, media, and everything else. We, we absorb that stuff daily. Very rarely do we let the Word of God sort of come into our life, and that's what the Word of God does. It comes into our life, and it reorients us to true north if it's a compass. It's like its true north is God's Word. And so I would I would say if you came in here with a with a couple of friends, man, find a time between now and next week when we meet. Get together individually, read through these, or get together over breakfast and and, and read them and discuss. And just write down what do you what do you see about roles of a man, roles of a woman, and marriage based in the Word of God. If you don't know anyone in here, I would say please identify somebody. Just maybe someone sitting right next to you and say, hey, let's. Let's talk, because what, what you take out of this, I think, is going to come, hopefully, some, a little bit of a relationship, a step forward, that maybe you can begin to forge a relationship that could, just like Don and I have had, iron sharpening iron. Well, it started at some point that, that we got intentional, you know, that he was there, I was there, and we were intentional about meeting I'm together. I'm kind of
1: sorry for you, Eric. That was kind of the beginning of it. It, it was, was. Absolutely, amazing, man.
0: Yeah. A house full of raging teenage guys. Crazy. Absolutely. Crazy so uh, so I think that would be a great uh, I think it would be a great way to enhance and if you're in a Bible study class and a lot of you are and maybe the guy's not even in here and you got a small group of men this would be a great a great thing for your small group to actually look at and do together this week um,
1: Don let's look at a hypothesis why do women what do women want or are hmm. operating hypotheses of rules of man now again these can be taken there's, there's more to this but this is I think a fairly Half the population in this world are going to be uh, women. Okay, you may be in an environment in which you are at times more involved in a male kind of an area, maybe involved more with the ladies. But as a whole, you're going to be kind of operating and dealing with half the population. And so, the most Christian women do not want to be dominated, they do not want to dominate, or to be dominated. They don't want to be dom- They don't want to dominate or to be dominated. I've asked this question of multiple ladies. And I've had yet to anyone who say they disagree with this. Secular ladies, pretty interesting on that. Uh, Christian ladies, strong, opinionated ladies, uh, meek and mild ladies, okay? And as a whole, they agree with this. Uh, in fact, we changed one word on it. Most, we put out in front of it, just because we've not met a lady who said disagreed with it. But we thought, well, that not a little bit, ladies one, And we decided, we thought, you know what, let's just put most just to kind of maybe those people out there who disagree. So most Christian lady, women... Do not want. Instead, women want to be led well. Just like Christ is the head of the church. Instead, women want to be led well. They don't want to dominate. It doesn't mean they may not have aspects in which they dom- are domineering. may not be the aspects in which they're vocal. But they don't want to dominate. They, want to, they don't want to be dominated. But they want to be led well. Let's talk about this next aspect. Eric this is unbelievable. This portion of it. But a chapter start, verse, wait, 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 wait. Yeah,
2: yeah. Are you going to
1: define led well?
0: Yes. We're going to unpack what lead is. I mean, that's what that's the next four weeks are going to be. Is that right?
1: It's going to take four weeks to get through two words?
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> we thought about just living on one, but we decided to spend it five. Five is a good, two words.
0: Five's a good number. Five is a good number. Yeah. yeah no, we will not deal with just those two, two words, words.
1: But these four, for the four weeks that we deal with, we will deal with the idea of what roles, these four roles, and they will unpack what it means to lead well, is what they will do.
0: Christ is gonna I mean, be, be, I mean, be, be our model. I mean Christ Christ will be our model of what it means to lead well is how did he how did he lead here on earth? How does he lead the church? You know, with what he does. And so he will be our model and yeah, we will spend the next four weeks looking at his role in our lives and also how that plays out for us in the lives of the people around us. So
1: what other uh, any other questions? Page six.
0: And we got there's a couple of principles here which we need to deal with so we know
1: the difference between those. I got a meeting. Head you can head take take that up tomorrow. right. Yeah. Eric's got a meeting he has to go to. So let's uh, let's get there's two aspects. There's three a- areas that we're to deal with. One is gonna be the rules and uh, laws. Rules and laws are things that are inflexible, the demands and commands apply to all people the same way. Perfect example would be the Ten Commandments rules and laws. Here these these are always true. Um, so the rules and laws demand the demands apply to all people. They are moral in nature. They're moral in nature and they are not optional. And so murder is wrong. You can even find that also not only in Christian culture, you find that in outside of Christian culture. There's just something that we know about that which just seems to be innately wrong to kill. The moral They are moral in nature. They are not optional. Everybody should abide by them the same way. Remember this, that rules are inflexible. Rules are inflexible and apply to all of us. Rules are inflexible and apply to all of us. Let's go with a football analogy. Okay? We're men, we're going to go with a football analogy. I'm not saying everybody's a football lover here, but we can all follow this. There are rules of the game. If you go out of bounds and your foot goes out of bounds and steps out of bounds, you are at that point out of bounds. At that point you cannot continue down the field. The play stops at the point at which you stop out of bounds. It is never a change on that. It is never different than that. When you step out of bounds, you can't be saying, you know, I think this time it'll be okay if we don't do that. Now so rules are inflexible. They are the way it is. You have it football discussion the committees they discuss about what's, what's going to be true this year what are the rules we're changing the rules but you can't check committees the only group that can change that kind of idea and so the idea of rules where well, they're inflexible principles are forces operating all around us we can choose to agree with them or even defy them but we cannot ignore them if we wish to succeed and have the best or God's glory to be seen in this so we choose to agree with them or we can defy them let's go continue on with this football analogy now, if you're going to have a, uh, a... What what wins championships in football? Defense wins championships. That's a good principle. Uh, how do you establish the pass? You have to establish a run. Uh, you can have a West Coast offense. You can have an a, 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 uh, I-shaped format, a uh, for, uh, deal in the backfield. You can have a T format. You can have a, a fullback. But you've got to establish most often you're going to have to establish a run before you establish a pass. There's going to be aspects in which you have these principles that are always going to be true. If you have a poor defense, you're probably not going to win the championship. You might have a great offense, you might have great excitement to it, but it's going to be tough to get there. And so those principles are true. If you ignore them, in fact, uh, we had a great example with the uh, uh, Phoenix Cardinals this year. They, they were a pass-oriented uh, offense. They didn't have a, a running attack going on. And so as they passed the ball, they started getting beat towards the end of the season. Well, suddenly, Edron James, I right, make the right name there? Andrew James came along and kind of was, was well finally, and he started the playoffs. Suddenly, they established the run before they established a pass. Everybody expecting pass, all of a sudden the run.
2: The,
1: the Pittsburgh Pirates, uh, the Steelers were doing. They established it all year long. They did it all year, but when the Arizona Cardinals got that going, it was them They were a new team. They were completely different, right? So it's a principle. Now there's one other aspect that we'll look at, and that's the idea of a rolls. Okay, so a football team not only has rules, not only do they have principles that you live by, they also have roles that you do. So when we would sit down there would be a rainy day in high school football, our coach would say, okay, we're going to run 212, and he just pointed someone. Right guard, what do you do? We would then have to tell him our role. Block on, off, if someone's over, you block that person, nobody over, first person inside. First person on the line of scrimmage, first person off the line of scrimmage. If you have a pass pattern, you have to look and say, who, what's your defense going to be? Is it running is is a, 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 a man-to-man or is it a zone? If it's a zone, we're going to run a curl. If it's a man-to-man, you're going to run it down and out. You're going to have different principles or roles to carry out. Everybody on the team had a role to carry out on that team. And so you had rules in the game, you had principles of the game, and you had the roles within the game, Okay. So what we're going to do with the last four weeks is these roles, this role called being a man, what that looks like within society, within uh, the world around us. So all four of those. So the guiding principles of the game. Let's give a definition. How many we in quest? Yeah? Great. And uh, there's your definition right there. Someone read that out loud and just give that definition.
0: They reject passivity, accept responsibility, (laughs) lead courageously, and expect God's greater
1: I love that definition. In fact, I use it in a lot of weddings that I do these days And because oftentimes when a guy takes on and he saying, I'm going to take this pretty young lady to be my bride, oftentimes I want to make sure that he is reminded of that definition of godly man, that he will reject passivity, that he'll accept responsibility, that he'll live courageously, and he'll look for a greater reward, God's reward, and he'll live that way because that's what she desires. Boy, that, she flourishes under that kind of a, a leadership. So you have these rules that are more. You have these principles that we carry out. You have roles that you carry out as a man. and Then you have your gifts and abilities. Here's what happens oftentimes. We start at this area and say, what are my gifts? God, what's your will for me? Rather than at the foundation of this is your will, that I would live this way. These are your rules. These are your codes. This is what you've given to all of us. We know this. Okay? Then what are the principles? How do we establish this? How do we work this out? There's a, there's a, a protocol. Kind of, I call it the DNA of summit. Are we a meat market for single for Christian singles? Or are we going to be about something even greater than that? Not that we're against Christian marriage. Not we're against that. Man, we're all for that. But man, we want to be for something greater than that. And then we have roles to carry out, functions that we do to make that happen. And then we say, God, in your specific area of my life, you love me so much. As I walk with you through these principles and, and rules and the roles, as I as I carry those out, God specifically show me your will, which you want for my job, for my wife, for my whatever those wills might those things might be specifically for me. But we tend to start backwards on that a lot of times, right? And we want this given to us before any of this is we, we do any of these things. If I with me on that? So, guiding principle definition. I'm going to give this. Thing, there's going to be four. Guiding principles that we're going to deal with. Four of these principles right here before we get into the rules. Four guiding principles. These are not exhaustive. Okay, There's there's actually several more that are very clear within Scripture. We're going to give you four primary rule, uh, principles that we have that for us as men. Now, the number one is actually it's a three-part rule, our principle, three-part principle. It's one principle given with three parts to it. The first part of this principle is the idea of leaving. Now someone read Genesis 2.24 right there
0: this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife they will become one flesh.
1: The uh, guiding principle is this idea of, of leading. Of leading. It's, 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 it's this idea of you cannot serve two masters. It would be another way of look at scripture. There's this idea you can no longer, you can't be a house divided. You cannot have two, two separate people that I'm trying to please at the time. So I must leave and establish a new home. And so perhaps one of the most challenging hurdles for us as men, doesn't matter what your age is on this, by the way, is the process of leaving our parents. To leave literally means to forsake or abandon. It's a powerful word. It's not, we read leave and say, oh, I'm leaving to go to a movie. I'm leaving to go to the grocery store. This is to forsake or abandon. Which takes unbelievable courage, doesn't it? To leave... I remember doing this when I went to college my I, as I got got to college um, my dad went with me and uh, uh, it was a kind of a, a thing my dad did with each of us uh, we had four boys my oldest brother is a judge and then my oldest my, my next oldest brother is a uh, uh, the pastor largest of Southern Baptist Church in Illinois and there's myself and then my youngest brother is a doctor and so my dad is a boilermaker my mom did not go to college uh, my mom though is a very direct person very talented person uh, my dad is a very kind person, was a bivocational preacher and a boilermaker. Uh, boilermakers are not known for anything except for a hard liquor and a, and a football team and a, and, a, and a mascot on a football team. And so the Purdue boilermakers. My dad, we lived with the roughest of rough men, and at the same time was a bivocational uh, pastor. We raised four boys. We thought we'd take the best from our dad, the best from mom, we're going to be pretty well off. Is kind of how we saw that. My dad took us to college for the first day. And what he was saying to us was this. I give you my blessing— you are now gone. You are now leaving physically from our from our household. We have given you the principles. We have given you the things that you need to have. Now, put those to practice. They're no longer ours. They're yours. You take those things, and you carry those things out. So I called my dad the first day. I said, hey, Dad, I got this situation. What do you think about it? My dad said, Dad, I'm not your Holy Spirit, Don. What, 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 what do you and God think? Well, Dad, I, I, yeah, I know you're not my Holy Spirit, but, Dad, I just want to know what do you think about that. Hey, son, I just want to make sure you know that I think I believe in you, and you can make that decision, and and so uh, you go ahead and make that decision. Dad, I'll make the decision, I got that, but would you just tell me what your opinion is? Don, if you really think that is an opinion, and you really would take it as that, I'll give you my advice, but only if you know, by doing it or not doing it, you do not please me any more or any less. You have the ability to make that decision. Okay, got it, Dad. I'll make the decision. It's fine. understand. Thank you. What's your opinion? At that point, it's, it's an unbelievable understanding came upon me about this blessing that was given to me. My dad had raised me and said, if you do wrong, it be a Spider Man." me. I told you what's right. He's now yours. You're a man. You can handle it. You can do it. So he took each one of us, dropped us off, and so then would leave us. And with that blessing being given and bestowed upon us as we headed to college, to leave is to forsake. To leave your parents means your relationship with your parents is radically changed. Is how Wayne Max says it. It's radically changed. Leaving our parents involves more than moving out from under the roof. To leave our parents requires us to leave them authoritatively, financially, and emotionally. It means to leave them authoritatively. It means to leave them financially. It means to leave them emotionally. Now, it just, this age, again, I said this at the very beginning, age does not matter. Age does not matter. Whether your parents are alive or not alive does not matter. Okay, you still be trying to please someone who's in the grave. Okay? And so it does not matter your age. It does not matter proximity. Most men sever the, the authoritative and financial bonds with their parents fairly easily, or they, it's more distinct as they finish their education, find jobs, move into their own houses. However, it is estimated that 60% of men, this was written, by the way, this is about 15 years old, I believe that percentage is higher, I don't have any, any good doc, document that says that, but sixty percent of men do not cut emotional strings with their parents. Sixty percent. If this is true, then zero percent of those men in their marriages, if they are married, are becoming great men or all that God wants them to become. You hear that? If emotionally we have not left and leave our our parents, if we don't if we don't make that severance, that sever of that uh, that cut, that change, that forsaking, that separation, if that does not take place, then the opportunity for God to do all that he wants to do through you as a man is going to be hindered. So, can you take the logic the other way then? If you have no emotional connection to your parents, you never tend on financially, etc. The possibility of you having a great relationship is then available. But, logically it isn't a, it isn't reversed logically based on your faith no if you if you've left your family then It doesn't make you automatically into a, a man that is uh, capable of doing all that God wants him to do it gives you the opportunity for that it's like having maybe a, a, um, a weight upon you uh, do you ever watch the, uh, the movie the mission uh, it's a, it's a uh, 1984 it's an unbelievable picture of it and if you have a chance to watch it is a, it's got the best oboe solo ever in the, it's an unbelievable oboe He's less than an oboe. I don't like the oboe, but there I like it. But anyway, it has this great picture of this guy who gets, uh, who's a slave trader, who then uh, hears the gospel, and then tries to carry all of his past armor and all of his past slave equipment up this falls to these people that he's been putting into slavery. And when he gets to the top of the deal, this Indians who have been watching him do this takes their hatchet and cuts off, not his head, but cuts off the armor that's held him from going up this waterfall that he have been trying to go up. And it's a picture of, in a sense, what happens to us. We're emotionally tied to some things of the past. It's as if we're carrying things with us that we can never run as fast, we can never go as far, we can never be all that God wants us to be because that is in a sense still encumbering us. Paul said it this way, that the sins that have encumbered me, the things that have been tied onto me, that those things I do away with, I cut off, I sever from me. One of those severances, one of those things that we need to do as, as a man, I believe, is emotionally make a break from our family. And as we make that break from them, then at that point what it does is it gives us freedom now to observe them and the way I've been raised appropriately, the good, the bad, and all those things. And so I think it is a, so it gives me the opportunity at that point. So there's 40% have the opportunity to do all that God wants them to do. The opportunity is available for them. It doesn't mean they'll do it. Anybody with me on that? Good question. So this idea is going from being a good man to being a great man. Leaving should not be done in a hurtful manner, even though pain may be involved. Even after, after a man leaves, a man is to honor his family. The word honor means to raise in high esteem. It means to lift up and place high, is what that means. Look at these passages. Exodus chapter 20, Mark chapter 7. Look at this in 1 Timothy 5.8. If anyone does not provide for his relatives... And especially for his immediate family, he is denied the faith and is worse than the unbeliever. There's an aspect of tremendous honor that's still given to them. But at the same time, I'm not bound by that. And because it's free, I now give back to them freely, not with strings attached. Here's another way I say it: if, if, if I sense, as I'm doing marriage counseling with people, if I sense that someone is giving them a, a person a gift, then I then I believe the strings attached to this. I say it is not worth whatever financial gain you may receive. Because of the strings. It is not worth receiving. I don't care how much it is. I don't care how much debt you are. I don't care how much it might help. Those strings that are connected to that is worth cutting, and that will be much richer in your life than to take any financial short-term gain with those strings attached to it. Some of you have testimony to these things. And so if you've taken on things, maybe from, from family members or other people, and you since there's an indebtedness I'm now having, it is, the, it is the same thing as a banker who has a debt over you. You now have a string attached to you. You now have to pay that debt back before you can do something else, right? Same kind of idea. Leaving is not a geographical matter, separation of home or house, even though it may require a physical move for a man to leave, truly leave, and thus establish. It may require you to do that. It doesn't give that to you, but you may need to do that to have the severance. Ironically, death of one's parents changes nothing. Leaving is a matter of the mind and the heart, and it is a choice we each must make. We can take those things in our heart, and we can go anywhere in this universe and go Antarctica, and we're not separated, it's still in your heart. So forgiveness from God's forgiveness is always starts where? From the heart, from the inside out, never from the outside in. Emotional bondage. Let's do a little test we'll go through. A man will never be appropriately provided for his family. Or let me say it this way. When I say family, you also insert there's an aspect of work, there's an aspect of church life, there's aspects of other things that go into that. Uh, if he is hindered by emotional bondage or the inability to leave his family, either physically or emotionally, the process man goes through is becoming emotionally free is called unpacking. We talked about that in terms of the quest material. And so, a emotional bondage or the inability to leave his family, either physically or emotionally, the process a man goes through. Is Coming emotionally free is this idea that we now have called in with the Quest, called Unpacking. I deal with that. I bring those things out. My wife, uh, is uh, when you meet her, you'll go, wow, what a sweet, sweet lady. Uh, several things have happened in her heart and life, uh, or certain in her life. Uh, one is she had a dad who left her when she was four, her and family. Uh, She left her mom and her sister and her basically uh, stayed together, but uh, he was getting ready to finish uh, Bible college. He was a month out from finishing it, and just before he finished Bible college, he had had an affair been having a long-term affair had another family started had two children one one child another one on the way and he left his uh, he left Denise's uh, mom and said I'm no longer married I want to be married and I'm gonna leave you and so at four years of age uh, Denise at that point was in, in a, a single-parent home now when Denise went to college she uh, met the uh, neatest college campus guy he was the strongest person uh, Christian guy on the campus he was uh, walking the Lord, seemed to be on fire for the Lord. Uh, she married that man, and uh, six months, nine months later, she was divorced from that man. Now, my wife does not, we don't say that with this thought of, hey, hey, you guys can go and do what you want, and God can take care of it." We say that because of the unbelievable hurt that took place. The divorce that took place in life was so unbelievably powerful. I was actually in the church watching all this take place and uh, praying for her. She was the church secretary. And as it all took place in front of us, we pray for the restoration. In fact, Denise prayed that her marriage would be restored. He was already living with another woman. He had already started another family. He had already had a child on the way. And sure, those next three years, she held the divorce up. During that time, one of the most unbelievable things occurred is that his lawyer left him and said, You're making a mistake. I can't stay representing you because what you're doing is not okay. He then sought out the pastor, my, my, my wife's pastor my pastor at the time, sought him out and said, What's going on in this church that this would happen, and how can I have what she has? And he was led to Christ. Unbelievable story. One of those. So for the next three years, she held that divorce up. I watched up her from afar, watched all the things. God healed her in an unbelievable way. We then married a couple, I don't know, 18 months later. We got, we got married after the divorce went through. Married, started dating after the divorce. Okay. Anyway, it didn't matter. Okay, so anyway, I'd clear it all up three later. But Then it, we, we got married. It was... 15 years later, before Denise realized in her heart she still needed to work through the the unforgiveness and the situation that took place when she was four with her dad. Now, unpacking may not be something that happens quickly. It may be something you have to take time to work through. She sat down with the counselor and unpacked it. And just like we'd say with the divorce, it was as if it happened to someone else. That's how unbelievable forgiveness took place in the divorce with her with her first husband, is how it then took place also with her dad even though her dad was already deceased at the time. So here's a little test. If these things, again, as we walk through this, you may not want to fill this out, you want to take this just quietly on time, this may be a health test to indicate whether you might still be connected emotionally in bondage. Do you act differently when you're at home with your family than when you're at work or at church? If you answer yes to that, there may be ideas or, or areas of emotional bondage. Do you stay in regular contact with your family? If the answer is no to that, there may be areas in which there may be, in regular idea, you can qualify that as you want to. But in regular contact with your family, or do you know kind of what's going on with your family? If the answer is no to that, there may be areas of emotional bondage.
0: Don, are you talking about our parents? Or? Your parents,
1: okay. your parents. After a conversation with your parents, do you feel anger? Or frustration, if you answered yes to that. There may be areas of, of emotional bondage you're still working through. Do You often say, the person reminds me of my father or my mother and become angry as you deal with that person. If you answered yes to that, there may be an area in which there may be emotional bondage. Do you tender for, uh, to perform activities just so your parents would be proud of you, whether they're alive or not? Can <coughs> you do those things? If you answered yes, emotional bondage. Let me give you this kind of quick idea. If that if some of those were yes and there's one that number two there if that was a no, and there's areas of that I would recommend strongly that you sit down with the counselor, and you walk through those things. I just sat down, I went to this course, and as I like checked those things, these are some things I just I looked at and man, I mean, every time I get on the phone, I walk away and I, with my parents I'm just angry, I'm mad, I don't know what to deal with, I, I don't even want to talk to them, I don't even want to get around them, and there would be areas in which there's a like bondage there. I don't care how strong a man. How long you've been apart from your parents. It doesn't matter. Those things are there. And again, that's not a scientific test. So maybe as you walk through that, it may not be that big a, big a situation. Or you may uncover something even greater. Any questions? As we turn to page 10. Okay, this, this one is much more informational content heavy. So well, let's, go, let's go finish up here. We'll be done. And at 7.30 we'll, we'll, we'll make sure we're done. Please. Uh, to cleave means to weave like a vine, two vines woven together around a solid base. The idea of uh, you've seen different trees and different vines. There's a one around here called the trumpeter vine. It grows up a tree, and as it grows up a tree, if another vine grows up with that in a trumpeter vine, it can literally encase the tree. And with, with the trumpeter vine, the vine stays above it, and so it can encase that tree. There's some trees that even as they encase the other, the, the original tree, the law that tree rots, and that tree, that forms a new tree, and it's hollow on the inside. And so there's different ideas. The idea is that God would be the center of this, this idea of cleaving. That God is a center, and that we cleave. If it's pre-marriage, I'm not married on this, I'm not talking a marriage relationship, then there's a place we do this within the body of Christ. I become, and in fact, uh, let's turn to John 17. Let's turn there real quick. John 17, verse 20 through 24, and it gives the same kind of picture in which... There is a cleaving taking place in which two come together with God in the center of it to become one. So as I grow my relationship with Christ, and as I grow with that, then in a sense I grow greater, and I grow in a sense with him as I grow towards, towards God. God holds me up, and I grow in this love relationship with, the, with Christ and his church, and I grow together. Let's, let's look at it. Look at chapter 17, uh, verses 20 through 24. Someone read that, please.
2: Prayer not for them alone. I pray also for those who who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also believe in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity. Let the world know that you have sent me, and have loved me even as you have loved them, or love me, have loved them as, even as you love me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, and to see my glory, the glory you have given me, because you loved me before the creation of the world.
1: There's a powerful idea, of this idea of cleaving. There's a picture of as as. Father, you and I are one. We want them. I, w- I want them to know how, how this works. That I can be one with Christ. I can be in, in him and him and me. Wow. It's a powerful picture. And it's, it's not talking about marriage. It's talking about the body of Christ. It's talking about us in the with, with relationship with Christ. It would be that close. Here's, here's a great marriage and even better dating advice, okay? This is Elizabeth Elliot. So sure you know it's going to be powerful. Be a right man. Don't try to find the right person. In order to receive the answer to our prayers, we must become the answer to someone else's prayer. Be the right man. Don't try to find the right person. We me say it another way. Be the right man. Don't try to make your wife into the right person. You be the right man. And so what happens with that is we pray for those things and we become the right man for our children, the right man for our wife. What happens is it it has a, a ripple effect. It has an effect upon all those around them. My uh, my grandfather was an alcoholic. Uh, he was a cripple. He was a poverty-stricken. He uh, was a likable guy. Uh, uh, everybody called him Uncle Joe. He had a, a a foot that was about a foot higher than the other one. When he was 12, he gone ice skating when he wasn't supposed to, and broken his hip and broke his, his growth plate. And so he had a big old shoe that he wore. At nine years of of age, my my dad uh, got saved. My dad was so excited about what God had done in his heart and life that he thought the first person he was to tell was his dad. So he went to his dad, and, and Grandpa said, Well, son, if you're so excited about me going to church, you would change the oil of the car, then I'll go to church with you. Well, my dad, at nine years of age, went out and changed the transmission oil, and not the, the motor oil, and so, but my grandpa realized he really wanted him to go. So my grandpa went with him. And about halfway through the service, my grandpa got up out of his pew, off his kind of step, boom, boom. As he walked down the down the wooden flag to say, "Change me," I, I there's something wrong with me, God. I need you. He was married already. There's things going on in his life that were were you know he had seven kids already. There's the, but he, there's something that was missing in his life, and this idea of leaving his his selfishness to be in a, a, a relationship with Christ to no longer be self centered but to be God centered was absolutely transformational. He then at that point never cussed the day in his life again, never beat his wife again like he'd been doing for a He was radically changed. And my grandpa at that point was so changed that it uh, changed a, uh, a little cousin, who we called an aunt, she was the same as my dad, got saved. That aunt, or that cousin for me, uh, Aunt Laura we called her, she got saved. She then led her son to Christ, who then had a rebellious teenage daughter, who didn't know what to do. But they realized back, they said, we got to do something about her. So when they brought, she brought her backpack home from school, they said, you're a graduate. Everything is a church functions, in school. Whenever you bring your backpack home, we're going to check your backpack. Because we don't trust we put in When you leave, we don't want you having clothes in there so you can run away. We're going to check your backpacks when you leave the house and when you come to the house. So that little girl got saved. Okay. Now, my, my dad, when he got saved and he came to know Christ, wanted to share this with grandfather, who then got saved, who then got an aunt, got saved. This granddaughter then gets gets saved. And that little girl is the girl I call by that when asked, do you still believe in this God? And her gun was put to her face. Cassie Burnell was shot. That was my cousin. All because of a person who so loved Christ, who so understood that God loved them, that they would come together like that. I have to get everyone. Again, my dad's nothing. He's the most ordinary guy you could ever meet. There's, he's, he's, but this idea of cleaving is so powerful because it changes radically from the inside. God says before the fall, it's not good for man to be alone. Which means that women are critically valuable to men. There's something a woman can do. There's something that men can do with women. Women can do that is just is compelling. When that little cousin saw my, my dad and grandpa get saved, she had to get saved. She wanted that. That's, that's unbelievable. And so God had, had Adam check out all the animals. There in Genesis chapter two, verses nineteen, had to check it all out to make sure of several things that when friction would come along, the Adam would not be reminded that there was no nothing better choice than than, than that woman for him. When friction comes in a marriage, uh-huh. did, did we skip some blanks? I jumped. There? I'm down to thirteen, bottom of page ten for you, I think, and I'm at the point where it says, "Here are some ideas of why God looked at all the animals." We get there, but you missed some blanks. I right, we... did some blanks. Which one? Wait so, a second. Uh, oh yeah. Marriage, okay. In creation account, a man gets one verse, women get six verses. Mm-hmm. Men are basic, basic and simple. Women are finely tuned. And so there's a, there's a real there's a marriage between these this simple and this this uh, finely tuned uh, uh, creature. And God says the follows is critical and valuable, that women are critical and valuable into men. At the very bottom of the page, that as we look at these animals, that there's several things that seems as if scripture is very clear on this. It seems. That when friction comes, that Adam would be reminded, there's no one better. That there's no one. There was, there was no better choice for him than Eve. Man chose the woman. Notice that he chose it according to those verses. Man is made from dirt. You're not very fancy, but we work. Okay, kind of grunt, kind of talk a few words, say a few if possible, but we get by. Women are made <clears throat> from or out of life. <clears throat> Thus, the idea behind it sure looks as if. The woman adds to life, gives beauty to life, gives nurturing to life, gives care to life, gives a whole bunch. So we're not in any way demeaning a lady in this. We're simply saying there's an a, 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 a add-on, a connection to it. Becoming one. This is the idea. You put this kind of frenzy behind it. This. This becoming one is the idea of servanthood. It's the idea of servanthood. If you've been in a marriage very long, you realize that it's not about you any longer. If you have kids, you find that out even more. I'm no longer Don. I'm now Isaiah's dad, Abby's dad, and, and Zach's dad. Uh, Denise is my wife, and I'm that guy that hangs out with them. And so, is the becoming one is the idea of servanthood. See, the idea of. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to jump here so we can get to the importance of it. It's the idea of spiritual oneness. It's the idea that we would. Um, Let's go to um, uh, 2 Corinthians 6.14. Let's, let's look at that verse real quick. Uh, 2 Corinthians 6.14. Okay. See, in marriage, becoming one is, is is seen as the most basic level as the consummation of marriage. Okay? So we look at it as, as this act that we do. But there's so much more. The metaphor of sexual intimacy evolves. It means this closeness, this depth, this knowledge, this connection. But David and Jonathan talks about that they that, uh, that knew each other, uh, uh, how does it say it, uh, stronger than a brother, closer than a brother, I think is the term they used. And so there's this relationship that we, that we would know one another, that we have a connective bond. It's, it's more than a sexual act within marriage. So what, what does it say in Second Corinthians 6.14? Do not be yoked
2: together with unbelievers for what do righteousness and witness have in common, or what fellowship
1: yeah, there's this, there's this odd boy that said, wait, be careful who you yoke yourself with. Be careful who you connect yourself with. How can you have both these things? How can bitter water and sweet water not become bitter? How can you you do that? Can't do it. If bitter water is added to the sweet water, it becomes bitter water. And so the idea behind that is this idea of becoming one has a critical importance that we know each other intimately, deeply. It's the idea of servanthood. It has a great importance in the family, because we become a marriage counsel to our, our to our kids. As we then live this out, we cleave, leave, and become one. We live that out. Then at that point, what happens is, we then at that point show our kids what that looks like. Here, here's, here's the point of it. The family is comprised of a husband, wife, and God. Then parents are to raise and prepare their children to leave and cleave to God and to become one with their future spouse. As the family goes, so goes the church. So goes society. As a man goes, so goes his family, so goes his the society, and so there's an aspect in which there is a connection between all those things. Let's look at one of the verse here, and uh, this this principle of oneness. Let's turn to Romans chapter twelve. We'll stop at this point. Let's turn to Romans chapter twelve, verses three through five. I think a lot of us are familiar with verses uh, uh, one and two of chapter twelve of Romans. But look at verses uh, three, four, and five.
2: Right behind them. <coughs> For by grace given me, I say to every one of you do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not so in Christ we who are
1: many one body and each member belongs to all one body all different roles you hear the terms in there becoming what how many bodies one all these different roles become one don't think of yourself more highly the hand is not more high than the foot there's not one aspect greater than the other And so the same idea so this idea becoming one the, it looks as if it should be done in order and it also can be done before marriage and we'll stop at that point because it looks as if that is a model of the church in our relationship with the church and with the body of Christ. So it looks as if that is directly involved in it. We're going to do, uh, next week, we're going to do two things. We're going to finish up with these rules, with these are principles, and then we're going to jump into the first role, and that's going to be the role of, uh, turn the to page tonight, uh, 16 for you. Turn the page. And we will look then at these roles that we now have, and the girls' characters, and we'll look at that We'll walk through that. And so we'll walk through the protector, provider, spiritual teacher, leader, and guide. And we'll walk through that. And that's gonna give you practical roles, practical things you can do to carry those out. Any last questions? Did anybody sign the role? If you could I'm not sure get a second.
0: Um clipboard with yellow paper in Yeah, is
1: that no, that's somebody else? Uh, if, if I can just get your name, what we'll do is make sure that when you have something going out, we email it to you. To you. Uh, also, there's no, there's a, I simply say it this way, there is no cost to the class, okay? There is cost for the class, though. So if you'd like to help out with cost, you sure can help that out. So these little pamphlets and different things we do will have some cost to it. If you'd like to help out with that, you can uh, uh, bring something next week, give it to Eric, and then he'll put that in men's ministry. If you'd like to help out with that, again, there's no cost to class, but there is, in a sense, to you to come to it. There is a cost to get material stuff here if you'd like to help out with that next week. Any last questions? I'm this. Father, we uh, we just simply uh, humble ourselves. We bow our head one more time. Uh, understand that you are a great God that loves us, that desires the best for us, that wants us to walk in wholeness with you. And so, Father, we uh, we humbly ask that you'd look at us, that you'd inspect us, that you see if there's any hurtful way in us. And you remove that from us, Father. And if you be so gracious, Father, allow that to to permeate in a mighty way your glory to other people. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen.